Well, let's pray, and God has given me a very specific word I am super excited to share this morning. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence here with us today. And as we have this incredible privilege to open up the word of God, I pray that you would minister to every heart in this room, every heart that is watching, that you would bring us an individual word and that our perspective of who you are would be bigger, that we would hear directly from heaven here this morning. Bless our souls. Go before us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a man who went with his wife and uh, his very cranky mother-in-law, and they were blessed to go to a trip to the Holy Land. And so they went and flew out into Israel, but unfortunately, very suddenly, uh, the mother-in-law passed away. And so they're talking with the hospital officials, and the, the man says, well, you guys are from America, so um, unfortunately, it's going to be about $5,000 to get you to have your mother-in-law shipped back home. He says, but you are more than welcome in our country to bury your dead here. And, you know, compared to what it is in America, it's, it's roughly $175 to have her buried here. Immediately, the, the husband, he goes, no, that's okay. We'll, we'll pay the 5000 And the hospital official's like, it's the Holy Land. What an incredible place to be buried. And for only $175? It's like, no, you don't understand. 2,000 years ago, there was a man who died here, but he came back from the grave. I can't take that chance. <laughs> <laughs> And today we are celebrating the greatest event of all history. And what 2,000 years ago is still as powerful today as it was then. It is the reason we're alive. It is the reason we will be alive for all of eternity. And I remember a couple days ago I posted on, on Facebook. And yes, we celebrate Easter every year. But I wanted to know what, what does Easter mean to you? And so I think it was maybe Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday I posted what does Easter, why is Easter important to you? And I got a, a ton of great uh, responses. I got people who said, well, in 1975, I was saved and I gave my life to the Lord on Easter. I got people who said, uh, it's because Jesus, and if we didn't have Jesus, we wouldn't have Christianity. And if there's no resurrection, then there's no hope. And then one of my friends, uh, this guy, very sarcastic, he goes, oh, Easter. Yeah, it's, it's about the six-foot bunnies who lay chocolate eggs, celebrate fertility gods. Yeah, that's my jam, you know. But no, it is the reason that we have a hope for all eternity. Easter, an incredible, incredible, incredible thing that Christians hold so dear to their hearts. And today I want to uh, preach a little different. I want to navigate through the story of the road uh, to Emmaus found in Luke chapter 24 and shed a, a a message on a word that God gave to me that I could not shake off. So as we go about the sermon here today, I'm going to read a chunk of scripture, stop and talk, go on and read another little bit of scripture and, and talk and so forth. So if you have your Bibles, go with me, Luke chapter 24. We're going to read a good portion of scripture today, starting in verse 1. And as always, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It says, but on that day, the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared and found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke. Remember, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee 
saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, when I was reviewing this, uh, this portion of Scripture this past week, I, I just felt the Lord push me to Luke 24, but I, I was still praying as to why. And when I read that word, remember, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And so this morning, the message that is on my heart is don't forget to remember. We got to remember the great things God has done and remember the sacrifice that he gave to us. But we're going to see in the Hebrew that the phrase remember is a whole lot more than what we imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a very forgetful person. Anybody else just forgetful people? Amen. I can go to Walmart and I know that I need butter. I need eggs. And I'll come out of Walmart with 15 things, no butter, no eggs. (laughs) And unfortunately, I uh, passed these jeans on to my son, my poor son. Uh, He's also very forgetful. I remember when we were living here in Duncanville, and we're probably, I don't know, two months into his freshman year in in high school. He's down at Waxahachie. It's about a 30-minute drive one way at that time. And he had recently joined the basketball team, and he had to be at school at 6.30 a.m., which means that we had to leave at 6 a.m. And so one morning we get in the car, we're all tired, the sun won't come up for another hour, and we drive on down to Waxahachie. I drop him off at 6.30 a.m. I drive all the way back home. I get home about 7.10. Have I said a.m. yet? Um, A.m., 7.10. I open the door, and before I can step out of my car, I get a text message from my son. Dad, I'm so sorry. I forgot my school uniform. Because see, he goes in his basketball gear, right? And so he puts his uniform in his backpack, and after basketball practice and, and PE, he changes. Well, he forgot his uniform. So I literally parked, walked into the house, grabbed a fresh uniform, got back in the car, drove another half an hour there, and then another half an hour back. And it was like two hours, almost two and a half hours round trip because we can get very forgetful. We can get very forgetful. Well, in the Hebrew, the word for remember is sakar. And this word is not like you need to remember in a sense of getting information and then filing it away somewhere in your brain. The Hebrew word for remember, it means to be proactive in using your hands, your feet, and your lips to remember the things of God. I had a, um, a Jewish friend named Israel, and uh, we used to go to coffee at Starbucks. He had his Torah. I had my Bible. And when he prayed, he would pray muttering, and he would rock like this all the time. And I said, why do you rock? And he says, we engage God when we remember, when we meditate. It's a physical act. We are proactive. Remembering by the Hebrew mind means that you are going to actually do something about it. There's, there's an outcome involved when you purpose yourself to remember. It's like uh, Noah, while well, he was on the ark, and he's there for days and days and days, and the flood is still there. And it says the Lord remembered Noah. Then he sent the wind to dry up the, the flood. Or like Joseph, when he was in prison, his, his fellow prisoner was released, and he said, remember me, remember me when you go see Pharaoh. Now, Joseph wasn't saying, hey, remember me, like, hey, when I get out of here, you want to get together, get some hummus, you know, just hang out or something? He wasn't saying, remember me, like, have a nice summer in your yearbook, remember me. He says, no, remember me so that you can talk to Pharaoh. There was a purpose behind it. So when we remember the things of the Lord, it's not just good information. I intellectually know the Lord loves me. 
No, it's I remember the great things of the Lord and I go over it, I go over it, and I go over it. Let's continue in verse 10. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other woman with them telling these things to the apostles. But these words appear to them as nonsense. In the, in the Greek here, this is actually uh, crazy. Like you are talking absolutely insane. These words appear to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up, of course Peter would, the one who betrayed him, the one who was saddened, the one who regretted his, his actions. And Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. Now, some people think that the, the linen clothes that Jesus was wearing uh, just kind of floated down. His body was resurrected and gone, and they just stayed there. But others believe that it was actually nicely folded in, in a perfect way. And for the Jews, when you were uh, done um, with your meal, you would fold your napkin a certain way that says, this was so good, I'll be back again. And so I folded you know, face cloth on, on that, that slab of rock there was to say, hey, I finished the work, but I'm going to be back yet again. But what's so amazing to me about the Easter story, it's, it's shocking even, is that nobody actually believed what Jesus said. Nobody actually believed that he was going to raise from the, be raised from the dead. And so he's like, hey, guys, there's been thousands of years of prophecy uh, pointing to me. I'm the one. I'm here. Signs, wonders, miracles. I fulfilled it. I am Jesus. Boom, Savior of the world. You're welcome, right? He's like, this is what's going to happen, okay? Don't be discouraged. I'm going to die. Going to be crucified. Going to be murdered in front of all y'all, okay? But three more days. Just wait three days, you know? Go get some hummus. Go get a, a drink, you know, and chill out on the Sabbath. And then come Sunday morning, better be, uh, be up early because I'm going to rise. And so they received that, they heard that from Jesus himself, years with Jesus, telling them what was going to happen. And the moment it happened, they lost all hope. They gave up completely, even though Jesus had told them so many times that nobody actually believed it. And what a very sad thing that Christians can hear a word from the Lord, receive something from the word of God and say, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then go about their lives as if nothing even happened. Go about as, as if God never even spoke to you. They didn't remember. They didn't remember. And I, I want to read one more portion of scripture. Uh, keep a thumb or, or finger there. I'm going to go right on over to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read a couple verses here in verse 5, uh, about 2 verse 7 or so. It says, And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, Has he said this because we did not bring any bread? But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss amongst yourselves that you have no bread? Or do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? So Jesus is, is traveling with his disciples, and again, I'm so grateful the disciples didn't get it. They were knuckleheads. That gives me a lot of hope. But they just saw Jesus multiplying bread, and so they're on, on this boat, and they don't have it. Jesus is asking about the, the yeast of the, of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is false teaching and legalism. And they're like, he's, he's mad at us because we didn't bring food. He, he's mad at us because we didn't bring And he's like, don't you remember? I am Lord over all creation. I am Lord over anything. I can make anything happen, and only I can make something come from nothing. You, you don't remember. 
Now, in this particular Greek word, that word remember, it means to exercise your memory and to rehearse. It's a different style of remembering. Rehearse. I think you know what this is like. This is like on Monday when you get in an argument with your spouse and you didn't win the argument. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're rehearsing that argument over and over, but this time with a different outcome. This, ooh, I should have said that. You'll be in the shower at 7 in the morning and be like, oh, if I said that, I would have won that fight. That's rehearsing. That's going over and over. That means something moved you emotionally. Something touched your heart emotionally, and it's sticking with you. It's something that brought a passion out of you, and that's a sense of what it means to really remember. There are some things, though, that are not worth remembering. There's some things that we have to leave completely in our past. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is telling us that we are to put aside the former things and to strain towards the future in this prize that God has called us heavenward. And Psalm 77 verse 11 says, I will remember your deeds, O Lord. Remember your wonders. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for Hebrews 8.12. In Hebrews 8.12, it says that our God, our Father, remembers our sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, as he has separated our guilt. And I'm so grateful for what we have in God. Let's continue here in verse 13. Now we're coming in contact with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is a small village just a few miles away. Verse 13, and behold, two of them, two, of them, two disciples, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place while they were talking and discussing Jesus himself approached Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him so the disciples lost hope they absolutely lost hope thank you by the way you're that tripping hazard <laughs> they lost hope completely and now they're sad, they're discouraged, and they're going back to Emmaus. Not sure if that's their home, but one thing I do know about Emmaus is that it means hot baths or hot springs. I don't know if you've ever been to a resort where they have hot springs, natural uh, hot springs, but that's what this city was known for. They still can't really figure out where, where the actual site is to this day. They have some guesses, but they were going to a place known for its healing waters. Now, we know from John chapter 4 that Jesus had encountered a lady at the well, and she's asking for water. And Jesus says, I have a water that you will never thirst again. I have this living water. And so I just think in a symbolic form, this is not really Bible, but in a symbolic form, they were looking to Jesus as the living water. And when they lost hope, they simply went back to what was familiar. They went back to what they were known for. And that was this place that had uh, water that was natural, but it wasn't of the supernatural. And these discouraged disciples just tried to make sense of what was going on. Jesus said he would, he would rise, but he died, and he's gone, and nobody knows where his body is. And, and did this come to nothing? Did we put all of our hope into something, and now it's gone? Did, did we believe with everything in our heart, and we just got our hopes up? And so they're, they're talking about this. And in the middle of that, Jesus shows up trying to help them in figuring this all out. We've all been there. I remember about 10 years ago, I was in the church office and a lady uh, with her family who had come to our church for years and years, she walked into the church and on her shirt, there was blood. And so we bring her into a little living room kind of area in our church and she tells us that she was at home, heard a gunshot, and it was actually her 19-year-old son. Literally died in her arms. 
for four hours. We're in this little living room at the church, and the best thing I can say is all we did was help her cry. And I remember that every so often she would just burst out in another fit of hysterics, obviously, and I would have to bring her down in love because she said, this is all my fault, and this, and she's just allowing the enemy to have a field day with her brain in her worst possible moment. And so she's, she's crying out, and we're, we're constantly just loving her and bringing her back, helping her not to figure things out, but to have her attention on God, who she desperately needs at this moment. And so here we have the disciples who are trying to figure it out, and here's the encouraging thing. Here's the great thing about it. They were completely without hope and completely devastated, but they somehow were talking about Jesus. And as they talked about Jesus, guess who shows up? It says that Jesus approached them upon that conversation. Now, if there's anything I can challenge you with, anything I can encourage you on, is that when you've lost hope or when you're discouraged or when you're confused or things don't make sense, what we want to do is kind of clam up and figure it all out on our own. Just rehearse over and over and remember the wrong things. I want to challenge you not just to remember the things God has said. I want to encourage you to open your mouth, start talking about Jesus. When you are in pain, when it's confusing, when you are angry, when you slipped in and sin, grace is, is for sinners as well. I mean, if there's ever a moment we need to cry out to God is after we sinned and say, God, I, I need your perspective. I need your help. But talk about Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. And the great thing is that Jesus shows up. Let's continue in verse 17. And it's a larger portion of scripture here. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas, which I, I, mean, I think that word means um, beloved father is what Cleopas means. And answered uh, and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us, and they were at the tomb early in the morning. and They did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those uh, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But he, we did not see. And he said to them, oh, foolish men, count on Jesus to just hit you uh, when you're hurting, right? He's like, he, no compassion. He's just saying, oh, you people, you foolish men, slow of heart to believe all the, what the prophets have spoken it was, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Disciples had failed to believe. And that word believe in the Greek is so fascinating because it, it, it means believe, but it has a root word called pistis, which is actually the word faith. And so when you get to a place where you are purposely remembering, remembering the things that God has done, the more you can remember, I believe, the stronger your faith is. But what's so amazing is Jesus met them where they were at. Jesus came alongside of them in their discouragement. Jesus walked with them miles and miles and miles and talked with them. He, he helped them to reason and helped them to kind of understand and put the puzzle pieces together. And I love that about our Savior, that John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave 
his one and only son, that if we would believe. He didn't call us to accomplish all these amazing and, and huge tasks before we could earn or accept salvation. Right where we are at in our darkest moments, and for all of us, before we were even born, he already provided that sacrifice for us. The more that we remember, the stronger our faith gets. The scriptures say that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, it doesn't say faith comes by having heard. You don't read the Bible cover to cover. It's like, great textbook. That was awesome. Let me store that information. It's this constant going before the Lord, hearing, hearing, receiving, remembering, remembering, and our faith gets strong. Well, let's uh, finish up the story here in verse 27. This is one of my, my most favorite stories because I wish I was these two guys in this moment. Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Can you imagine that sermon? Can you imagine walking with Jesus himself and from the book of law all the way into the latest prophecy that they had, Jesus explaining the scriptures of himself? That is something I would pay an arm and a leg for. In verse 28, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further, much like when he was walking on the water. He intended to pass them. But in verse 29, they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and he had reclined at the table with them. He took bread and blessed it. Looks like a familiar scene. Took bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. That is hilarious. It's like Star Trek, you know, when the guy just kind of teleports on out. You know, can you imagine, like, you finally realize it's Jesus, like, <laughs> boop, and he's gone. <laughs> In verse 32, and they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? You know, when I go to a church service or I go to a conference or I go to a worship experience, I always have one prayer. And that prayer is not, you know, that I, I have a great time or meet some new people. That prayer is, God, I want to be moved in your presence. I want to be touched like these disciples were walking with him. They were struggling. They, they couldn't figure it out. But when Jesus spoke a word to the heart, something came alive inside of them. They were moved to the point where now hope was, was present and discouragement was gone. And they now had a perspective for the future of following after God. In every event that I'm, I'm in that's in a Christian circle, I want to be moved. And it begins with that intimacy. Jesus took this bread, which symbolized him, and he blessed it and broke it. His body was broken for us. And it was in that communion, which is really fellowship, that their eyes open. Oh, how intimacy produces clarity. The deeper you go into the heart of God, I believe the further that you can see. And so these men who were wrestling, couldn't figure it out, who were given their whole lives for the resurrection and didn't see it happen, but in intimacy, it all made sense. In intimacy, they could see again. Their eyes were open. And in that moment, two things had to happen for these disciples. The first thing is that they had to bury their expectations. They thought it was going to be how they thought it was going to be. But instead, Jesus showed up in an unexpected way as he always does. They had to bury their expectations, and they also had to resurrect their fellowship. Now, there's a challenge I leave for us on this Easter Sunday morning is exactly that. We need to continually, day by day, die to our expectations and be raised up again in intimacy and fellowship with our Creator. And let me uh, close with this little cute story. Uh, I was reading this in just a funny section, and a little boy was given a slingshot on a farm. 
and he was going around practicing with it, and he wasn't hitting any birds. He wasn't hitting any lizards. And so he comes back to uh, the farm, and he's walking closer to the house, and he actually sees the family's pet duck. And just out of impulse, you know, out of instinct, he just pulled back, let it rip, and he actually killed the duck. So this little boy is, you know, panicking. Oh, my gosh, what's my grandma going to think? And so he's looking, and he doesn't know what to do. He picks that poor little duck up, and he hides it in the woodpile. Unfortunately, waiting at the top of that woodpile was his sister, who saw it all. So they go back into the house, and uh, they, they were eating dinner, and they finished up. And the grandma says to the sister, hey, come on and help me with the dishes. And she goes, oh, no. No, little Johnny said he was going to help you tonight. Isn't that right, little Johnny? And she whispered, remember the duck. And so he went, and, oh, of course, I would love to do the dishes. The following day, the grandpa asked the, the little Johnny if he wanted to go fishing. He goes, oh, yeah. And his sister said, oh, no, but remember you promised that you're going to help grandma to make supper tonight. He goes, oh, yeah. Finally, after about the fourth day, after the fourth day, this little Johnny couldn't take it anymore. So he goes to his grandma, and he's crying, and he confesses. And the grandma says, I saw the whole thing out of the kitchen window. I was just wondering how long you're going to let your sister make you a slave. <laughs> She's like, I love you. I forgave you. And I was hoping you would come to your senses. And I kind of see that in light of who we are, that we walk around with the guilt we shouldn't carry. We walk around with the confusion that is not ours to own. God has seen it all. He's seen every fault. And before we could even confess him, he came by love and took our place in the greatest exchange, a divine exchange of grace for guilt, of healing for sickness, of freedom for slavery, and so much more. Family, would you stand with me today? I want to uh, close us out here today and, and just a, a blessing. So grateful for what this day signifies. It was November of 1999 that I said yes to Jesus, finally, <laughs> raised in a church. But from my heart, and it meant the world to me, November 1999. Elaine, when did you give your heart to the Lord? Miss Rita, when did you give your heart to the Lord? <laughs> 12 years old. 48 plus 12. Mr. Richard, when did you give your heart to the Lord? February of 90. And all around this room, we could share testimony after testimony of how God saved us, redeemed us, healed us, and now we get to join him in partnership of expanding his kingdom. So, Father, I thank you so much for today and what Easter celebrates. Thank you, God, that you chose in your great mercy and in your great love to not just stay on your throne, but to come down into our world, the same dusty streets that we walk, the same temptations that we face, the same feelings that we go through, the same discouragement. Yet you came to our world, you took it all upon your shoulders, and you died in our place. You didn't stay dead, and you conquered what most of us would think is the ultimate, and that is death. And you were raised from the grave and to live forevermore. Thank you that one day we will be raised from the grave as well and spend all of eternity in your physical presence simply because of your gift, your sacrifice, and your love. As we begin another year springing off of Resurrection Sunday, I thank you for my family who are here the faithful at Southgate Fellowship who come each and every week to hear, to pray, to fellowship, to serve, to give, to move, and to partner with you. I ask your richest blessing upon them. Father, thank you for the protection that's upon their lives and their family. 
Thank you for the blessing that's upon their finances and their relationships. Thank you that you will keep them from harm, that you will bless and heal them. Thank you for the deliverances that will happen in minds and hearts of fears and pride and anxieties that we have been holding on for too long. Thank you, Father, that you go before us and you have a plan for us. You have a purpose for us. You have a specific calling for each and every one of us here. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your faith to follow that with everything that we have. As we go about this day, as we have been encouraged this morning, let us go out into the restaurants and to the stores at home, but carrying your love and carrying your joy to share with all the others who desperately need the hope of the world. We love you today, God, forever grateful for your sacrifice. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Happy Easter. God bless you, family.